0: The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles." For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city "'stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas "'and drove them out of their district. "'But they shook off the dust from their feet against them "'and went to Iconium. "'And the disciples were filled with with joy and with the Holy Spirit. "'Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue "'and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed.' But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel.
1: Rejection. What we have just heard is a dramatic, wholehearted rejection of the good news of Jesus Christ. A dramatic and wholehearted rejection of his messengers, Paul and Barnabas. It is a stark contrast to what we saw last week. Last week in Pisidian Antioch, we heard Paul and Barnabas preach an incredible message of salvation to the synagogue. God has brought to Israel a saviour, Jesus, as he promised. They spoke of salvation, of forgiveness of sins of eternal life. It was an incredible message and many believed. But here, only a week later, rejection. It is a very stark contrast. And to make matters worse, this rejection happened in front of the whole city. After the excitement of the previous Sabbath, many from all over the city gathered to hear about Jesus. Imagine the tower blocks around here emptying out into Aviva Square, all of them here to hear about Jesus. But what do these crowds see? Rejection. These crowds saw unbelieving Jews shouting abuse at Paul and Barnabas, shouting that they were liars and blasphemers. This is the stuff of nightmares. They saw Paul and Barnabas driven from the city. This is the stuff of nightmares. It's the call to the boss's office after you share the gospel with one of your colleagues. It's the friend who decides to cut you out of their life when they realise that your faith is too toxic. It's the police knocking at your door. This is a dramatic rejection of the gospel. This is a dramatic rejection. Of the gospel messengers, too. But there's a surprise in this passage. When they saw this rejection, the new Christians in Antioch reacted in a pretty incredible way. These new Christians, when they saw Paul and Barnabas driven from the city, they rejoiced. It seems pretty improbable, uh, but if you don't believe me, look down at verse 52, right there, top left of page 1112, if you've closed your Bible. Verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. It is an incredible reaction to Paul and Barnabas being driven from the city. And if this reaction shocks us, as I think it should, we definitely need this passage. Our first response to seeing a rejection like this is probably to worry that there's something wrong with the gospel. um, Or to think that something's gone very wrong in God's plan But Luke wants us not to worry. Luke's aim today is to help us to rejoice in the face of rejection. And he's going to do that by showing us first that there is nothing wrong with the gospel. And then even better, he's going to show us how this rejection, this dramatic, wholehearted rejection fits into God's plan to save the entire world. So first, There is nothing wrong with the gospel. On the face of it, these events seem pretty troubling. It seems like there is a real problem with the gospel. Uh, Let me make the problem worse for a minute. Uh, It is particularly troubling that this rejection was led by Jewish people. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, their big claim was that Jesus was Israel's long-awaited saviour. But then when they come to this city filled with Jews, and announced this long awaited saviour in the synagogue, these Jews say, no thanks, no thanks. It's not a particularly good look. What does that say about the supposedly good news of Jesus? Now it's nearly December, so imagine you saw a child looking at a present wrapped up under the Christmas tree. Imagine that she looks at it every single day. She knows that it is exactly what she wants. It's the present that she's been longing for all year. Every day she picks it up from under the tree and shakes it. She is filled with excited glee. And imagine you saw that excitement. But then you come back on Christmas morning and this long-awaited present is there in the bin you would definitely conclude that that present wasn't all that it promised to be. You would definitely conclude that. Kids don't wait for presents for a whole month and then dump them in the bin straight away. Is it like that with the gospel? If you're visiting us today, maybe you've had this question before. Why do so many in the world not believe if the gospel is such good news? Why didn't everyone in Jesus's day believe in him? and even those of us who follow Jesus might have that worry. Our theory is that these early Jews spotted something wrong with the gospel, a fatal flaw with the evidence that we might have missed. They were around at the time, they knew what to look for. Maybe they saw that Jesus was a fraud and that's why they rejected Paul and Barnabas. Maybe they saw that, but no, Luke wants us to be very clear that there is nothing wrong with the gospel. And instead, he puts the problem squarely with those Jews who rejected it. Look down with me at verse 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. This wasn't a principled Well informed, no thanks. These Jews rejected Paul and Barnabas out of jealousy. They were probably jealous that Israel's special relationship with God was being opened up to the entire world. They didn't like the fact that Paul and Barnabas were offering salvation to the Gentiles, to those who weren't Jews. They probably didn't like the fact that Jesus was offering salvation to everybody and they were jealous. This is not the rejection of a child who opens up the present on Christmas morning and sees that it is not what she hoped for. This is the child who finds out on Christmas day that her brother gets a present too and throws both of them away in disgust. There is nothing wrong with the gospel. In fact, many Jews believed it at the time and are still coming to faith in Jesus today. But some reject it for bad reasons. I think this is made even more clear when you see the irony in their rejection. God's people, Israel, were meant to be witnesses to the entire world. They were meant to invite the world to know God. And here, here is a golden opportunity Almost the whole city in a non-Jewish region gathering to hear about God. It's a golden opportunity to witness. But rather than getting excited at the opportunity, these Jews got jealous. Rather than helping Paul speak of God, they contradicted him. Rather than helping unite the world in worship of the God of the Bible, they tried to drag the world into rejecting God and rejecting his apostles. It is the exact opposite of what they were meant to do. Our theory is that these early Jews spotted something that we haven't. Some flaw, some problem in the evidence. But their reaction wasn't smart or savvy. It was worthy of judgment. As Paul says right there in verse 46, these Jews heard the word of God but thrust it aside and judge themselves unworthy of eternal life. It is deeply sad that some of God's people rejected and continue to reject the good news of Jesus, Israel's savior. But there is nothing wrong with the good news of Jesus. He offers eternal life to all who will trust in him, and he is worthy of our trust. If you're a visitor here today, it is worth investigating those claims you will find nothing wrong with the gospel. And all of us should be confident that there is nothing wrong with the gospel. But that still doesn't explain the rejoicing that we saw in this passage, that confusing, surprising rejoicing. Why did these new Christians in Antioch rejoice, even as they saw Paul and Barnabas flung from the city, driven from the city? And for that, we'll have to look closer at verses 46 to 48 of our passage. Uh, These verses, in these verses, Luke wants to show us that this rejection here in Antioch isn't a surprise. In fact, it fits into God's plan to save the entire world. We're on to the second point in our handout, if you're following along on there. This rejection leads to worldwide rejoicing. This rejection leads to worldwide rejoicing. Let me read from verse 46. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you it aside and judged yourself unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing. Whenever you see someone in Acts quote the Old Testament like this, you should have your antennae up because this is probably a very significant moment. And here, Paul quotes from Isaiah, because despite appearances, we are seeing a very significant moment in God's salvation plan. If you've ever seen an episode of the 80s action show, The A-Team, or perhaps like me, the 2010 film remake, you'll have heard Colonel Hannibal Smith saying his famous line, I love it when a plan comes together. And for those of us who don't have the same taste in action films, let me explain that a little bit more. Uh, Normally in the A-team, things are exceptionally chaotic as the team heads out on this mission or that. Something invariably goes wrong, things break, things explode. Things look bleak. Uh, But in the closing moments, when it seems like everything has gone wrong, one of the team pulls out some unexpected skill, some backup plan, some similarly unlikely thing, the tables turn and it's revealed that this was in fact the plan all along. And we, the audience, get to cheer along as the plan is revealed and the tension lifts. And Hannibal Smith says this famous line, I love it when a plan comes together. On the face of it, Paul and Barnabas being chucked out of the city by God's people when they try to tell them about Jesus seems pretty disastrous. But then Paul whips out verse 46. It was necessary... That the word of god be spoken first to you this is the big reveal this was god's plan all along it's true that israel that jesus was first and foremost a savior for israel god made promises to israel it's right that the gospel started spreading from jews to other jews they had the right to make their minds up first they had first dibs on the gospel one might say but israel was in fact just phase one of God's salvation plan. Listen to the first half of that Isaiah verse that Paul quotes. We heard it read earlier. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. It is too small a thing, it is too light a thing for the God of the entire world to save just one family, the Jews. It was always God's plan to send his salvation beyond Israel to the ends of the earth. We saw a glimpse of that plan right back at the start of Acts. Let me read Acts 1 verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This has been the plan from the very start. And we're starting to see this plan come together. The rejection that Paul and Barnabas faced here marked the beginning of the spread of the gospel to the whole world. It's no wonder that the Gentiles in Antioch rejoiced. The Jews' rejection meant the start of their salvation. The Jews' rejection meant the start of their salvation. You see, the Jews had made up their mind phase two can begin, and every Christian. Jew or Gentile, can begin to follow Jesus' command in verse 47. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. The Jews had had their chance, and the good news of God's salvation could begin to spread to the ends of the earth. Now, it's important to say at this point that we do see Jews being told about Jesus later on in Acts. The gospel is still on offer today to those who are Jewish by birth. But in general, from here on in Acts, the action is focused on the gospel's advance in Gentile regions, in non-Jewish regions. The The focus of Acts from here on out is of the world hearing of Jesus. Phase two has begun. And this really helps us to see, I think, why the new Christians in Antioch were filled with joy. They were filled with joy even as they watched Paul and Barnabas being driven from the city. Because they knew that these men were taking the gospel to the very ends of the earth. Yes, Paul and Barnabas were being rejected, but their rejection meant that they were being thrust out into a new mission field. Paul and Barnabas were kicked out of Antioch, but from there they took the gospel to Iconium, to Lystra even to Rome. These new Christians could look at Paul and Barnabas leaving Antioch and think Jesus's salvation is being taken to the very ends of the earth. They wouldn't have known all the names um, but they were rejoicing because the gospel was going out to all the countries at the ends of the earth. I think of the places we're from, Malaysia, Australia, Australia, China, the Congo, South Africa, Bermuda, Canada, France, London. No wonder they rejoiced. The Gentiles in Antioch rejoiced because they knew the plan. This was the start of the world rejoicing. And we today know that same plan. Phase one, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Phase two, the very ends of the earth. We can look at this moment of public, dramatic rejection of the gospel and rejoice, because it is just the start of something bigger. But even better, Luke wants us to see that this isn't just a one-off moment in salvation history. Luke wants to show us a pattern that continues to this day, and that's our third point. The pattern, rejoicing and rejection on repeat, rejoicing and rejection on repeat, after being driven out of Antioch, Paul and Barnabas go to Iconium, and essentially exactly the same thing happens again. It's a pattern. First, rejoicing. Again, they head to the synagogue to, to preach. A great number of both Jews and Greeks believe, rejoicing, and then again, rejection. Verse two. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Here in this next city, unbelieving Jews continue to witness against the gospel, against Paul and Barnabas, stirring up opposition. And eventually, exactly the same thing happens again. Paul and Barnabas are driven from the city. Rejection. But then again, we can rejoice despite rejection. What are Paul and Barnabas doing in the places to which they flee, even from this second town? Look down at the end of verse 7. It's filled with joy. Verse 7, there they continued to preach the gospel also. There they continued to preach the gospel also. You see, phase two has begun. Jesus' salvation is spreading to the ends of the earth. We're seeing the pattern, rejection and rejoicing on repeat. As the gospel goes out to the ends of the earth, there is a pattern of rejection and rejoicing, rejoicing and rejection, and it is a pattern that continues to this day. Clearly, there are some differences between us and the apostles, but as Christians, we too are witnesses involved in this worldwide salvation. We can learn from this same pattern. Like the apostles, we can expect rejection. I think those of us today who speak of Jesus... We expect that some people won't accept the salvation that Jesus offers. We expect that, even though it is good news. Um, But what Luke wants us to show us here is more than unbelief. It's more than people just saying no. Uh, Luke wants us to expect rejection. You see, the gospel is uncomfortable. It divides. It's news that we need forgiveness and that we are sinners in need of a saviour. It's uncomfortable news. And in fact, it makes people angry. And some of those people, some of the time, will decide that it is easier to just not have Christians who speak of Jesus around, to just not have us around. We will face rejection. This rejection won't be uniform. In Antioch, the apostles, they were kicked out immediately after a week. But in Iconium, they remained for a long time before they were forced to flee. It won't be uniform. In Antioch, the rejection is driven by unbelieving Jews But in Iconium, it's picked up by the Gentiles and their leaders. At different times, this rejection will take different forms. It could be social pressure, keep quiet or else. It could be rejection by friends, by colleagues, by family members even. It could be rejection by workplaces or in some parts of the world, maybe here at some point, by governments. That's something the church throughout history has had to cope with and the church in some parts of the world has to cope with today. It takes different forms, but it is clear that some rejection is a guarantee when the gospel goes out. And I wonder if knowing that some rejection is a guarantee, I wonder whether that makes things simpler for us. We often don't speak of Jesus because of fear of rejection. Seeing others rejection rejected is frightening, and the thought of being rejected ourselves, that's pretty terrifying. That sort of fear, it makes us wait for the perfect moment to speak, which never comes. Uh, That fear makes us try to put things in the perfect way when we're talking to our friends about Jesus. But that's just impossible. We're afraid, so we end up staying quiet. But if this passage is right, we cannot avoid rejection by speaking at just the right time or in just the right way. A certain amount of rejection is guaranteed We follow a king who is rejected and killed, whose apostles were rejected. And if we are going to be involved in this salvation, going to the very ends of the earth, we must expect at times to face rejection. We must expect rejection. Uh, But this passage isn't just intended to get us to grit our teeth and carry on. Um, I think this passage means that we can rejoice even when we see people rejected because they speak of Jesus. It means that we can rejoice even when we are rejected because we speak of Jesus. Rejoicing is part of the pattern. Like those in our passage, we have seen the plan. We know that phase two of God's salvation plan is underway. And rejection of the gospel messengers cannot stop it. Whether by Jews or Gentiles, individuals, families, workplaces or governments, this gospel cannot be stopped. The good news of Jesus is going out and bringing light to a world darkened by sin. The good news of Jesus is going out and bringing salvation to the very ends of the earth. Now we started by looking at the odd reactions that Christians in Antioch had to Paul and Barnabas being driven out of the city. Let's finish today by thinking about how we might react if we were in a similar situation today. How would we react if at Food at Fives after the service, someone here came up to you and said they'd been fired for speaking too boldly of Jesus? Well, of course, we'd be sad. Sad for the consequences for her, for her family. Unfortunately, I think our instinct might be to immediately presume that it's really her fault. If she'd, chosen the, wrong ty- the, if she'd t- chosen the wrong time to speak or not put things in quite the right way, I think we might think that there was something like that going on. But I hope that what Luke has shown us today will fight against that instinct in us, that instinct to blame the messenger. Because we know that facing rejection is a normal part of speaking for Jesus. Uh, this person is a gospel messenger speaking for Jesus and we know that gospel messengers face rejection. And though it's uncomfortable, I hope that what Luke has shown us today might even help us start to think about rejoicing. We know that phase two of God's salvation plan is underway. God's people are spreading salvation to the very ends of the earth. And this five worker, she is a gospel messenger speaking for Jesus. And that means that wherever she goes next, she will be bringing salvation. By God's grace, she, like us, has been involved in Jesus saving people to the very ends of the earth. Yes, rejection brings much sadness, but God's salvation plan is underway. Jesus has made us a light to the nations that we may bring salvation to the very ends of the earth. That is very good news, and it is something that we could rejoice in. Let me pray. Our Father, thank you that Jesus offers salvation to us, and that his salvation is being brought to the ends of the earth through the witness of your people. Please remind us of the goodness of the salvation that Jesus offers, and convince us that your plan to save the world is underway. Please help us to speak boldly for you and perhaps even to rejoice in the face of rejection, knowing that your salvation plan cannot be stopped. Amen.